Hello to everybody who really enjoyed the movie Get Out. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hey everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. The, our caller today, you're going to just immediately sense, what a smart, kind, sweet, easy to talk to person. Just a genuinely good dude. Phrase dude comes up, don't worry, cleared it. Just dealing with some headaches, just dealing with some headaches in the family life. And relates to issues that go well beyond the phrase headaches, issues of race, issues of, of sexual orientation, just leading to some dramas where your heart really goes out to the caller who, who wants nothing more than to sort a lot of stuff out with, with people whom, whom it would be important to sort things out with. So just wrapped up the call and I walked away going, what a lovely person and what a, what a lovely thing to chat with him. So I hope you enjoy it as well. And I hope it really makes you feel some empathy for other people and makes you really uh, open your heart. If you're hanging on to some, if you're hanging on to some of the world's old ways, I hope this one makes you open your heart. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hey, what's up? Hi, is this Chris? It is. It is Chris. Oh, oh wow! I got through. How about that? Hi, how's it going? Um, it's going pretty well. I didn't, I didn't get all that much sleep last night, but it's a pretty beautiful day in New Jersey, and I'm in, I'm enjoying it. That's awesome. I love New Jersey. That's a sentence rarely said. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> Are you from here? Yeah. No, I used to live on the East Coast. I would travel uh, up and down the sort of uh, Eastern Seaboard to see some stuff. Uh, you know, I had some fun in Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. Uh, saw a couple of pretty suburbs, but I forgot the names of. Fair. Yeah. Fair. I, I found it to be underrated. Yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And I love it. And I love the people here. Now, you asked me how I was doing. How are you doing? Oh. I've been having a year. Uh, I've been doing today. I'm doing okay, um, but n- has not been a great few months. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the baseline for everybody in 2020. So if you're if you're noting that you've had a particularly bad month by compared to where the standards are set right now, I, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's been doing bad. I know that, but it doesn't make me feel any better. Yeah, what's going on? Uh, well, the biggest thing, the biggest couple things in my life right now are, um, like, I've been gearing up to have a big sort of fight with my family. Um, and we're all sort of non-confrontational, so I think that it's going to be kind of not great. Um but they have not been very respectful or even really acknowledged uh, my relationship, uh, which is now we're about to have our second anniversary. And, um, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of getting ridiculous. They, uh, like from my perspective, they're being kind of, kind of childish about um, handling this. And uh, they don't like being sort of called to the to the carpet like this like sort of being called out about this and so i trying to figure out a way to approach this that actually maintains all of my relationships but i'm not sure it's possible at this point um and because a lot of the barrier is their religion uh it's a same-sex relationship um and also uh i am black and my partner is white and that is also a bit of a sticking point for them uh, for reasons that i understand but don't really uh I can't do anything about it. And so there's a big fight coming. I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, that that sounds like a, a pain, uh, to say the least. And I'm sorry yeah. that you're dealing with it. Oh, thank you, Chris. Yeah, and it, you know, you said you said that they have religious objections to a same-sex relationship. 
And it seems to me like objections to an interracial relationship also denotes some uh, some issues that aren't even necessarily tied to religion. So it sounds like it's all around yeah. closed-minded. Definitely tied to their upbringing. Uh, they grew up in the in the Jim Crow South. Um, you know, I, I I can understand why they're hesitant about welcoming uh, someone from a different culture, uh, given their experiences with that. But it's also, you know, it's 2020. Uh, like I'm vouching for this person. It's kind of nuts, actually, that they, you know, have been so there's been so much cold shoulder for now two years. Um, but Again, they're kind of like, they don't like talking about emotions or feelings, which is a big barrier. Um, and they also just, you know, they, they don't understand it. They, I, you know, I kind of realized uh, a few months ago that um, they just haven't been, I, I thought, okay, long story. Uh, <laughs> I, I came out to them over 20 years ago at this point. I was in high school. Um, and it didn't go well, but I'd say about five years ago, they said that they were starting to do the work. And I think I overestimated how much work that they were doing because um, they didn't really talk to me about it. They didn't ask questions of me. So I thought that they were off, I don't know, uh, joining flag or something or reading books or thinking or praying or something. And then when I came up to them with this relationship, they just were just like, no, don't do that. Like, we don't want you holding hands. We don't want people to know you're in a relationship. We don't want you to, to be out there um, flaunting it. They actually said that, um, like very old school kind of <laughs> terminology. Uh, and so they, they just nowhere near as, as far along as I thought they were. And now they just seem to be set in their ways and they don't seem to really want to move forward. And so, again, I'm trying to maintain these relationships and kind of I've been really sad about the idea that maybe I'm not going to have very much of a close relationship with everyone, but the relationship I want with everyone, um, which, you know, you can't make anybody feel or think what you want them to. But it's very, very sad to think about. It's super sad. It's super sad. And, uh, you know, I think I think there's probably a thing that happens with people like me where we see a victory happen and then we think there's a fairy tale ending where all the problems that made the victory necessary go away. Right. And to me, I see, I see same sex marriage legalized and I see how, in my opinion, it feels Mm -hmm. like a lot of people who wouldn't have accepted it before I have people in my family who would have said, Oh, that's marriage, man and woman. Now it's legalized. And they go, I don't care at all. It's, you know, it's no longer an issue. And, and they legitimate, it's not, it's not like they're begrudgingly saying, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll swallow that when they're going, Oh, it's, actually, yeah, the world's evolved. And I see how this is, this is a non-issue and, and love's a beautiful thing. But the idea that it's just like a, a switch that gets flipped and that, that torrent of, uh, yeah, dislike and discrimination and it's magical thinking yeah it is magical thinking it is magical thinking yeah and it's making me realize i fall into and I, it's it. and i'm sorry my least favorite part <laughs> yeah it's my least favorite part of growing up is, is sort of losing all of my last little bits of magical thinking i hate it yeah i mean i guess i absolutely hate it being backed into the corners you've been backed into it it must be hard to summon to summon any sense of magical thinking it must just be navigating reality in a realistic way. And that's where your energy gets to go to. Right. Now, if yeah. I, if I heard so you, right, been, Oh yeah. Oh, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask another thing that I realized that my, uh, my closed mindedness gets exposed to me, which is one of the, let me also say this. Mm-hmm. One of the great joys of hosting this show is being able to hear things and go, Oh, I never thought, I rarely considered that you, if I remember right, you said the breakdown was that your partner is white and you're African-American. Yeah. So that's, um, I think that is a secondary issue. I think that there is no, (laughs) there's no man I could bring home that my parents would be super excited about. 
But um, I think that the interracial uh, factor is is a hundred percent a secondary issue. Yeah. Um, they they have trust issues that have been born from uh, all kinds of mis- all manner of mistreatment, all manner of racism. Um, and so, I mean, the, the understanding where they're coming from on that front is the only reason I'm still even trying. Um, cause there have been, there's been a lot of times where I just kind of want to say, you know, what, maybe I'll call you on your birthday and Mother's Day and Father's Day. Other than that, we won't see each other or talk to each other because it's too frustrating. But, um, I'm trying to come out of some place of understanding where they're coming from and, and being patient. But also like, you know, they're, they're up there. My, my dad turns 80 this year. Um, you know, they, they don't have a lot of time left. And so I guess sort of selfishly, I, I would like them to at least have met, they haven't even met my partner yet. You know, I would like them to get to know this person that has been so important to me um, the last couple of years. Um, and so I, you know, I, I really hate being stuck in the middle and this has sort of been the story of my year, uh, but I can't, I, I want this to be an in-person conversation and they're, it's not, it's not a great time for in-person conversations. Um, and I haven't really been going over there and seeing them uh, in person anyway because of the pandemic, obviously. And so um, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do, but I have to figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. As soon as you said they had a problem with an interracial relationship, in my mind, I go, oh, these are, these are closed-minded <laughs> white people. And then you go, oh, no, wait. Oh no! That goes in all directions. <laughs> that can go in any direction. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I'll tell you what: the fact that you've said a number of times now that you want to try to be understanding of where they're coming from is uh, is it, it's it hit me right in the guts because it speaks so well to your character that you're able to t- take a deep breath, stay calm, and even want to give that to them. It's very kind of you because it's very clear they're not affording you the same Im- impulse or instinct on their end. It doesn't sound like they're very interested in knowing where you're coming from. Yeah. So the fact that you're saying over and over again that you want to try to understand where they're coming from, when I think a yeah. lot of people in modern times would actually say where they're coming from is a place that's not worth exploring. It's closed-minded. Speaks very, very highly mm. to your character that you want to even try. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you saying that. I, um, I actually did not. Uh, I didn't grow up in their religion, uh, and so I, uh, for various bizarre <laughs> reasons, um, I grew up going to a different church than they went to, uh, and so I, I feel like I have a, a kind of a different way of. Uh, approaching family and even just sort of earthly matters. Like, I feel like they kind of don't, they don't get invested in religion or in um, emotions and feelings. And they just think that's kind of, that's stuff for earth. And they're <laughs> concerned about the afterlife. I shouldn't laugh. I'm, I'm not laughing at their beliefs, but like, um, it's kind of, a, for me, I couldn't imagine going through life like that. But um, I do believe in trying. I, I, I try to grow up with some more, uh, a bit of more of a humanist sort of, and so i try i try and i try and you said you can sure in their way they're trying as well (laughs) i'm sure i mean i'm not sure of that actually i don't know why i said that (laughs) who i mean you can't say for sure but yeah you have to hold out hope that anyone who's a parent wants to find the inroads to a connection with their child and uh yeah. It's something that I understand why you're seeking it. And you said you said you came out to them 20 years ago or 15? Yeah, I was uh, 15 years old. Um so around turn of the century. And and how turn of the millennium. You so you've been out to them for decades. And why are they Yeah. Is this just any time you've dated, they've gone into this mode? Because it seems so odd to me that 20 years in, there's still this sense of shock that... We are such a stubborn family, Chris. We are so stubborn. Um, It's odd to me, too, but they... 
they've held on to grudges with their own family members for longer than I've been alive. So I, um, like, I know the worst case scenario is we essentially have no contact because that's what my parents are sort of like with some of their siblings. Um, like they will stand fast in their beliefs and just sort of <laughs> let relationships kind of, uh, you know, uh, fall by the wayside, which is, all, it's hard to think about that. Like, uh, would they be willing to let this happen with me? You know, it's why I haven't <laughs> kind of hit the nuclear button yet. Cause I've been tempted at times to say like, you can get on board or we won't have any contact, but they would totally call my bluff. I, or not, not my bluff. They would take me up on that threat. You know? Yeah. That's sad. And so there have been times where I, I wonder, you know, I find value in having my family in my life, but sometimes the, the, the frustration is, you know, yeah, I people mean, with families, I'm sure can empathize. Again. <laughs> and again, like, I think there's probably a lot of listeners going, why don't you hit the nuclear option? Sounds like they deserve it. And it, it speaks very <laughs> highly of you that you're the one who has to be level-headed and, and seeking out that connection. Now, yeah. Do you have siblings? Is, th is this just your parents or is it your whole family? Uh, I have an older brother and an older sister. Um, my brother is the most non-confrontational person I have ever met in my life. Uh, and so I would not... <laughs> I, I have not asked him to intervene on my behalf. Um, and he actually just moved uh, away, several states away. So he's not really around anymore. Um, and my sister has, my sister is caught in the middle and she feels caught in the middle. And she's, sometimes she's very, um, when I, when I talk about my partner, she can be very uh, not responsive. You know, she doesn't have any questions for me or she doesn't ask after him. You know, and then sometimes she's very much the opposite. And so I feel like she's getting it from both sides right now. And I don't want her in that position, but she is the oldest sibling. So I kind of need her as a, as a support. And so she has to be involved in this conversation too, I think. And, and you've mentioned a few times like this conversation but, and you said, I'm gearing up for this fight. So are you oh, like, you're like planning it. Like, yeah. You're like, I'm going to go over there. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm anticipating right. they might say this or this yeah. or this. It might be, yeah, it might be a series of conversations. I don't want to ambush them because I, I know that'll go real, real bad. Um, my dad, my dad is actually, my brother takes after my dad. He will just get up and walk, walk away and leave the room. If I try to initiate a confrontation that he wasn't expecting. And so I don't know, this is like more strategizing than I've ever had to do for a conversation or for, uh, addressing a conflict. I keep calling it the conversation. You're right. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might it be a is. series. It is. This is going to be one of the conversations in your life. That's the conversation. Do you, what's the, what yeah. do you know? What do you know about how you're going to start this process as far as the strategy you're putting together? Uh, so I've actually been trying to find uh, a mental health professional to help me strategize this. And this is a whole separate conversation. Um, finding as a, a gay black man trying to find uh, mental health that where I don't have to explain a lot of stuff to the, the therapist, you know, there's, there's all these cultural boundaries uh, having to do with race and sexual orientation that I kind of just want to, I, I kind of want to jump past that a little bit. Um, I've seen a counselor in the past where it was just a disaster because <laughs> she didn't understand what I was talking about. You know, she, uh, I kind of questioned a few of my, um, things that I really felt very confident about, like racist treatment and things like that. And I was like, this isn't going to work. Um, and so like, I've been seeking mental health, uh, mental health professional to help me with a few things, but specifically this, and it's just been the biggest struggle in the world. Um, finding someone that I could possibly afford to, to see. Um, and so that uh, part of why I'm putting it off is I want to strategize with someone about how to have these types of difficult conversations. Cause I don't really do it that much. I think a lot of people don't do it very much. Because um, again, I grew up in such a non-confrontational sort of family culture, you know? Yeah. I would have to imagine the idea. You're, so I don't know. I don't know my first step. If, uh, do you, I hate to, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm chuckling. <laughs> I always find a chuckle in the midst of these hard conversations, but 
it sounds like your family might be oh, one of those do. families that when you go, so I've been seeing a therapist and they've said, they're going to cut you off and go that too. You already came out and then you got this white boyfriend <laughs> who's the vanilla icing on the cake. And now you're seeing a shrink too. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did mention to my uh, mom once that I was thinking of myself, uh, a therapist and she was, like don't don't do that. Don't don't share all the family secrets. Like that that was her, where her mind went. She's very old school. Um, and then of course you know we uh, black people have a, a really really uh, fraught relationship with uh, medical professionals, including mental health professionals. Kind of what that movie Get Out was about. Actually, um, I I'm going off on a tangent, but I I have never seen it articulated so well on film. Um, the the uh, mother-in-law character, I think Catherine Keener played her, is like embodying so much of our pent-up fears about seeking mental health, um, mental health care. It's just like, man, Jordan Peele really hit it out of the park because this is exactly it. You know, we're there. Uh, uh, like sometimes we're afraid they're gonna bring some weird cultural, sort of hegemonic view of the world and sort of like insert it into our brains and sort of erase who we are. Let's. Let's pause there. Something that I want to know more about. And guess what? We're going to hear more about it when we get back. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for checking out our advertisers. And now we're going to get back to the phone call. Uh, Like sometimes we're afraid they're going to bring some weird cultural sort of hegemonic view of the world and sort of like insert it into our brains and sort of erase who we are. It's like, it's, I'm off on a tangent, but yes, my parent, my family does not (laughs) see it for therapy. I, well, I, I love that you went off on that tangent because I love that movie and there's a lot of, you know, I don't know that I would necessarily have the perspective of this is a specific magnifying glass on this relationship between the black community and, and mental health. That's uh, I love you went on that tangent. Cause that's, that's mm-hmm. fascinating to hear. Fascinating to hear. <laughs> I have to say, I know yeah. you said it's a very long story and, and you moved past it. And if you're like, it's just, it's just too much. I get it. But the idea that your parents <laughs> grew up on, in what sounds like, uh, you know, towards the extreme end of religion at least further towards the extreme than you did um yeah well yeah i I don't think they see it i think it's actually surprisingly mainstream um what they believe uh i I move in much more um secular and progressive circles but um where they come from i think that the religion they're southern baptist I, i think that it's not even a particularly like conservative yeah. sect of Southern Southern Baptism that the church they go to, but I think that it's just these are old school attitudes that were informed by the religion they had um, growing up, and it's I don't know I guess old habits they are they they're really I think they would feel unmoored to sort of like be separated from that, and so that's always been the struggle for them. But I don't know we don't talk about stuff. And that's also on me. Like I don't bring up this stuff because I know how much they they are confrontational or non-confrontational. But um, they like we. I don't know. I, I they've tried me to, to uh, um, get me involved in their religion, and I was just like this is just not this is not for me. I can't even pretend to go to this church. How did you? Um, how did you? But know? their families are actually further, way more conservative. Yeah. Go ahead. How do you? How do? To hear their family, you know, their family's more conservative. They're very dedicated to their church. It seems to me like one of the things that happens with people who are devoted to religion is they prioritize passing that religion on to their kids. And you said you grew up not in their church. And that's really confusing. Yeah. That's very confusing to me. It's, I was always confused by it. And I only just got an answer to this question from my sister uh, earlier this year, we were talking on the phone. Uh, and I was like, why did I end up going? To, I ended up going to uh, a family friend's uh, Methodist church, um, and it was a, 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 um, 
mostly Japanese Methodist churches, a lot of uh, Issei and Nisei people who went there, uh, first and second generation um, immigrants from Japan. Uh, there's like a Japanese language service. And I was like, growing up, I was just like, why? This is so weird that me, this black kid, is at this church <laughs> um, that's meant to cater to <laughs> like um, like Japanese Japanese immigrants and their families in the Pacific Northwest. It's like so <laughs> odd to me. Um, we live in the Northwest now. I'm not sure if I mentioned that. Um, but yeah, apparently there's a whole story. Like my, um, I think my parents were having um, some sort of crisis of faith having to do with separating from their own families, uh, much more stricter, uh, much more strict religion. And they didn't quite know if it was safe for me to get involved in that church. And so they kind of left my spiritual journey up to this family friend uh, who we called uncle. But, uh, you know, we, so I ended up going to his church for growing up for 12 years. And so they have a very, very, very different take on, um, on basically everything. I mean, the Methodist church and the Baptist church are different for a reason. Um, and so I got a very different religious education than they did. And, and they, I say to their credit, they did not force their religion on me as a kid. They let me sort of discover this other thing. Um, and I found that um, actually almost almost to the day that I came out to them, you know, that's, that's the day that they, their religion, their religious uh, sort of fervor started picking up. And so I couldn't help but notice that, that that wasn't wow. a coincidence. I think that they were, yeah, I think that sometimes I feel like responsible for, <laughs> for uh, sending them back down this, this, uh, this path of, of less tolerant religion. But, you know, I, again, I, I finally reached the point where I understand that I don't have control over people's thoughts and feelings. <laughs> Like I did when I was a teenager, I guess. Yeah, and because again, it, it, that it, that pushes the same button in me. And again, this is armchair therapy on my end. But just listening to you, mm -hmm. that sentiment seems to also tie into what I was saying before of you saying I want to, you know, get a sense of their perspective. Um, and I just hope you know. And then, again, I'm just like some guy on a phone. But I do just hope you know that on a very basic level, if they never give you the conversation you're looking for right now, and they never mm -hmm. try to meet in the middle with some understanding that you're you're kind of trying to yeah. open the door to in very classy fashion, I'm not trying to be aggressive towards your parents, but I hope you <laughs> know that's on them. That's not on you. I... I do. Thank you for saying that, Chris. I do know that intellectually, and it's it's just hard to sometimes it's hard to feel that. Um, I just I don't know. I I always feel like I can do something, and I guess, you know, I I don't know. But enough against the limitations of that, it's not easy. Um, but I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah. And I I will say that my partner, who I have not talked about much, but my partner has been so so supportive. Um, this, this whole ordeal is actually kind of what's made, solidifying for me that he is, um, the person that I want to spend my time with because he's like, it hurts him to be excluded like this. I really like, and I, you know, have taken it, it is my responsibility to protect, I think his feelings a little bit. Um, I, I like, I haven't told him all of the, uh, like the not so great things that my parents have said about gay people. Like I, like in case that someday they can ever meet, I don't want him sort of uh, like poisoned by their past attitudes. But uh, my partner has just, he's really stood behind me, even though it's hurt him. He's, you know, uh, really been there for me <laughs> to listen to me complain about this. Uh, and so like, he, he has been absolutely fantastic. And so it would not even be a question. Like I know my parents in uh, their goal, not their, their goal, but their, um, I think they, they, they would prefer that I just not do relationships. Um, I think that they're another thing that they, that they are concerned about is that, I don't know, gay people are going to just get beat up uh, on the street. And so they don't want me holding hands with him. And so there is like fear for me. It's not just intolerance. Um, but I just, you know, it's not even an option. Like uh, finding someone so supportive and so loving, like I just would, I would never walk away from that. And so, um, 
I hadn't mentioned my partner much, but he has been excellent. And and yeah. how has his family been towards you? There's a part of me that hopes you're like, oh, they're uh, they're all like the most open ended <laughs> sect of Quakers, and two thirds of them are actually gay. <laughs> I hope it's just the warmest, easiest <laughs> path with them. Um, they have been mostly perfect. Uh, kind of shocked, actually. Um, they, so they live in a, uh, a much more conservative state than the one I live in. Uh, and so I had my own prejudices before meeting them and they're just the loveliest people. And his mom sent me all of these masks that she had hand sewn for the, you know, for going outside during the pandemic. And, sent me this wonderful handmade birthday card and they've been so lovely when I've met them and they have the cutest dog. <laughs> they, they, they're really lovely people. And so it's been kind of the opposite um, reaction. And it's just been, um, it's been a little, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just about to ask, like, is that, is that a source of strength and warmth or does it create this sense of like, Oh man, like it does it only highlight some of the stuff uh, that you're being put through. Uh, both. Yes to both. Column A and column B. Yeah. They, um, it's, it's been nice not to have to deal with these fights on the other side. Um, but also it does, it, it is striking, um, this sort of the, the difference in the reaction. Um, and then, you know, there's, <laughs> we were talking about get out. Um, there's, I've gone to visit them. Uh, at their home. And so there's always this sort of background, like, I don't want to speak for all black people, but like sometimes when you're, you're in an all white space and you're isolated, like your, 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 uh, your guard is up. Like you just, anything could happen. Um, uh, and so like in the back of my mind, that's always, there's always been this sort of tension there and like nothing has ever happened even with his extended family. And so, like my guard is sort of letting down there. Um, but then like I'm stopping and asking myself like, well, why can't my, why can't my family let the ice thaw a little bit like this? I mean, like I am probably the most distrustful person, um, in the world, you know, and, and I'm letting my, you know, my defense is down a little bit with him and his family. And I don't know why my, my family can't, you know, it doesn't seem to be, uh, it's like the big ice wall in, in Game of Thrones. It's just like it's it's being kept intact by I don't know what the, the magic of gods or something, but they like it is not melting. You it will never thaw. That. It feels like sometimes. What was it? The dragon horn? What was the horn? What's the horny blue? Yes, yeah, sort of demon dragon or something. You gotta you gotta get them. Uh, there was a time I knew the name of a dragon. But... You gotta get them dragons come. You're trying to summon dragons. To melt your family's ice wall. Right. That's a bummer. Yeah. It's such a bummer. So sad. Yeah. So sad. Just, uh, yeah. Just, I've been, you know, I've been trying to keep a, a positive attitude. I, I have a thing, people keep calling it out, and I just, I don't even see it as a problem, but I tend to also chuckle through like strife. Like I can be describing really, kind of like awful things that I am experiencing or trauma that I've been through. And I'll always kind of laugh. And I think it's sort of my oldest defense mechanism. And like, I don't actually think it's funny, but it's, you know, laughing feels good. It feels better than, uh, you know, wallowing in pain. So that's how I've been getting through, but it's uh, obviously limitations to that too. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's the way we all work. It's another thing I've learned hosting this show. I'm not the only one who laughs at stuff that I find markedly not funny. We all do it. We're all just out here trying to survive. Yeah. Right. yeah it's uh to hear you say, yeah. would you, you said a few minutes ago, you're like the most distrustful person on earth that your guard is up. <laughs> it takes you a while to let your guard down. It sounds just, uh, sounds harder than it has to be and it sounds lonelier than it has to be and i'm just really yeah it just really breaks my heart 
because you, we, you know, we've been talking for 33 minutes. It's already clear to me. Fundamentally, good person. Anybody listening can tell that. So the idea that your life is being made harder because you're born the way you are and that that extends in a few different, you know, cultures. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting me as someone who's hearing exhausting. about it. So I can't even imagine how exhausting it is for, yeah. for you to be living it. Exhausting is kind of a perfect word for it, actually. It's like, I think I'm starting to notice the, uh, like some of my work is suffering. Some of my, like energy levels are way, way down. You know, it's, it's been weighing on me a lot the last few months for sure. And again, I just feel exhausting like, is exactly the word I would use. I know you said you understand this, but I just got to say, I mean, you mentioned your dad's in his eighties and it's, you know, the subtext of that is you really want to, you really want to get to some level of, of understanding yes. before he passes away. And I just got to reiterate again, I know you said you understand this intellectually and obviously so much easier said than done. But if you don't get that, it's not its not because you didn't work hard enough or try hard enough. It's not because you didn't find a way to mm-hmm. understand them more. It's not because you didn't find a way to bend towards who they wanted you to be. It's not, it's not yeah. on you. You can't. You can't just in every walk of life. One thing I've come to believe more and more is now I'm 40 and I see all the laugh lines on my face and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually grown up now for real. And it's just as I've grown up for real <laughs> and I'm not some sage wise person, but just the amount that. Oh, yes, you are, Chris. Nah, I'm really not. That's part of the trick, you know. That's I think that's part of why people trust me on this show is because I'm not I'm not a I'm not some professor, and I haven't st- I don't I literally don't know what I'm talking about on any call, which allows me to be trusted on every call. That's part of the trick. But my point, my point is that the, one of the only things that I I really firmly just know is truth is that we waste so much time and energy as human beings trying to get other people to apologize for who they are. And mm. it's been happening for centuries. And it's a waste yeah. of those people's potential. It's a waste of the time of the people who feel so driven by it. Like the extreme version, these, right? The extreme version, who I'm sure are people who you've had to keep an eye on, at least from afar. Like these Westboro Baptist Church people, which I think that, I think they've kind of fallen apart a little bit from what I've read. But yeah, you look at them. That's like the most extreme example of closed mindedness. And it's like, you you, you have to at a certain point, because I've read, you know, I've read interviews with people who have left that church, people who are in that core family of it. It was, I think, the Phelps family. And it's like, you have to feel sad for them that they've spent so much of their time and energy asking other people to deny their instincts and their feelings. It's just, what a waste. What a waste. Right. And most of all for the people who are marginalized yeah. and the people who are, who are boxed in in this way. But for everybody, it's like, can we just, can we just let, can the baseline at some point become no one will be judged for the way that they're born? Can that just become the baseline? And I'm glad I'll say another thing. I, I'm, I'm out here being sanctimonious. I'm sure it would benefit you as much as anybody. But I'll also say this I'm up here on a soapbox. It was just a month or so ago. Someone on the someone who listened to this show, uh, I was talking with a caller who who was uh, not not straight. And I referred to it as their sexual preference. And someone out there let me know, you know, that's kind of, that's a term that we're kind of putting to uh-huh. bed because it implies that there's a choice to this, which is a very outdated and dangerous thought. It's, we say orientation now for a reason. I go, it's right. very logical. I really get it. So I'm also out here. I'm up yeah, here on the, the news. Yeah, right, right, right. It was uh, in, in the 
right? In the Supreme Court confirmation. Amy Coney Barrett, yeah. 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 It's still a thing. So yeah. I'm up here in a soapbox saying, it's why can't we? Very loaded just, term, yeah. I get, and as soon as it was explained to me, I go, oh, I can see that. I can see how if you're a kid coming to grips with your, you know, with the fact that you are not walking the the path that your parents would like you to walk and you're hearing preference, 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 it puts the blame on you in the sense of, well, why do I prefer this, prefer this, prefer this? And it's not the truth. So even for right. me, I'm up on the soapbox and I'm up here trying to be on the side all right and still have to admit I'm learning every day. I'm learning every week. And that's an exciting thought. And it's, and it's a beautiful thought. And one of the things that I think people get so scared of is if you realize you have things to learn, it challenges the idea that you're perfect and your world is perfect. And it's actually the more you can learn about other people in the world, I think the more simple and beautiful your life becomes. That's just me, though. What do I know? I completely agree. Completely agree. I completely agree. And I hope... And I, I will say, I, I... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You, you'll you say what? Oh. Uh, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm coming down hard on religion, too, because I, I agree with you about that. And I, I feel like the values, those are values that I started learning going to that uh, Methodist church that I went to uh, as a kid. And so, like, it certainly isn't you know, antithetical to religion either. Uh, and so like, I, 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 it pains me, I guess, to, to when, when people get to this very different place and their religion has driven them there, it, it just, it, it's painful for me having so many religious people in my family um, to hear that this, is, although I am last, you know, the, the religion that has uh, at least, you know, growing up with it did instill in me some very good values that I have, you know, since then learned and grown and matured and read and, and, and sort of uh, facilitated learning those values. But um, like that some people could go to, that some people could have a religious experience that would take them to this completely different place. is just like, I don't know. I find that like a, like a, like a regretful missed opportunity. Like it, it pains me when, when I, when uh, whenever I hear um, sort of religious-based bigotry, it's just, yeah. it blows my mind. Yeah, I, I got to pause and say me too, me too. But a lot of things blow my mind in this world. And uh, we're going to ponder on this one more when we get back. That's it for the breaks, everybody. Let's dive back in. No further interruptions. Let's do this. It pains me when, when I, when, uh, whenever I hear um, sort of religious-based bigotry. It's just, yeah. it blows my mind. It mine too. And like, I, I'll actually say early yeah. in the history of the show, for people who've been listening since the beginning, I, I probably was a little more anti-religious mm -hmm. in the early days. And then some of the callers to the show explain mm -hmm. their religion to me. And, and you, I sit here and I go, well, religion's really a beautiful thing in the sense of com community and charity and 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 all sorts of things and then religion also has a side where families like yours have these immense wedges in them other families get completely torn apart i grew up it's so hard for me to rationalize it cuz i grew up in a religion where there are people who you know spend a lot of their free time driving meals to people who are hungry, but it's also a religion where the devotion has 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 allowed uh, priests for, for centuries to get away with molesting children. So it's like it's just how do you at, at what point is the whole and it's a tough question for me. I think about it all the time. I grew up Catholic, gave me a lot, but also yeah. I'm sitting here going, I just found out, dude, I just found out. And I shouldn't say dude and assume your pronouns. Is dude okay? <laughs> dude is great. Dude, uh, well, I've gotten into arguments about this with people, but I think dude is a gender neutral pronoun. And a lot of people think that that's absurd, but okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, I say dude all the time and it's referring to people of all genders. And so I'm okay with it. All right. I'm with you then. So dude, 
I just now I feel silly reiterating <laughs> the word dude. Why is it making me giggle that you and I just had to <laughs> analyze dude? No, it's on me. I'm the one. I'm just try. I just try. I just try. and then you get to go to one church yeah. that allows you to accept who you are, and your parents wind up in a different church where they don't accept who you are. How do you not like? Again, yeah. you sit here and go, I'm, I'm not anti-religious. And again, it speaks to you and your understanding and your uh, your compassion as a human being and your desire for empathy as a human being. And I really hope that as your life goes on and on, that you get back as much of that empathy and compassion as you look to give, because you deserve it more than you've gotten it. That's my analysis. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. I, I I hope so too. Yeah. But even if it's not coming from my parents, but and I, you know, you've mentioned your partner. I still feel like I, I I'm gonna make a last ditch effort. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Last... I'd rather talk about my partner. Well, because <laughs> well, I was gonna say you mentioned your partner. How much of a source of strength, much of a source of love. You mentioned that your partner's family has extended a lot of kindness. Um, some layers to that, but overall, clearly a good thing. Now. I think you said you live in the Pacific Northwest, right? Yes. Yeah. The reputation of the Pacific Northwest, and it's not like this every place. Reputation of the cities in the Pacific Northwest is that they're very accepting places. Are you living in a place where you feel accepted? Do you have a friend network? Do you have a community? Do you feel like that side of things is providing you a safety net? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually kind of why I moved back here. I don't think I mentioned before. So I grew up, I was born and raised in, in the area of, uh, and then I moved away for almost a decade to the South. Um, and then just for a lot of reasons to have a different experience to see how the other half lives or how other people um, besides Pacific Northwesterners live, what the climate is like. Um, and then uh, I feel like I didn't really have community there. And so, and I certainly didn't have my family there. And so I ended up moving back and I've been very happy with the, you know, the social aspect of moving back here for sure. Um, I feel like I have the like social support that I want and need in my life, except for, for my family, but there it is. Yeah. I bet that, uh, would you say, I have to imagine that being quarantined for the better part of a year now, it, it must make you sit around and think about all this stuff even mm. harder. Yeah, it's been terrible. Actually, it's been it's been really terrible. I can't distract myself with uh, other things. I can't. It's harder to have. I really hate Zoom. I'm actually I'm so over Zoom and Skype and all of these the uh, uh, video chat things. I just I never want to do this again. I'm never video chatting with anyone ever again. This is so awful. Um, and it's just not the same as having a conversation with someone. I, as much as we try to make it for for me, it's just it doesn't work. I, I can't. Like, I feel like I'm not uh, really experiencing the person. I, like, uh, it, it's, I find it to be kind of jarring in a surreal sort of uncanny valley sort of way. Like, I, I just, I, I hate it. Yeah, it's like uh, the Matrix. So it's like the Matrix. Felt, it's like we're all entering the cybernetic world. You haven't yeah. felt what? You haven't felt what? Yeah. I, I, I felt not as close to people um, when I've been, like, uh, when, when this first started happening in, in March and April and they locked us down, like I was video chatting everyone and I was feeling this closeness, this sort of intimacy with people. Like I was hearing from people that I hadn't talked to in months and years. And now it's just like the, the video chat is more of a barrier than a facilitation. Like I, you know, it's, I would rather just talk on the phone or, or text at this point, you know, it's just like, it's this weird, almost, uh, face-to-face communication, but it's clearly, it's just not, it's not face-to-face communication. It's, uh, I'm, I'm on another tangent, but I hate Zoom. I hate Zoom. I'm, I hope they're not a sponsor of the show. Not yet. And if they want to become one, I'll gladly edit this part <laughs> out. Gladly. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say two things to that. One, to follow that tangent, have you had that situation yet where you like meet up for, with a friend for some outdoor social distance thing? And then they're like, I actually got tested a couple of days ago. Yeah. Been... And then, but then you're like, I got tested oh. this week too. And you're like, could we actually hug? I can actually hug you. 
We both just came up <laughs> negative today. Oh, ho, ho. I've had that a couple of times. And a simple hug goes a long way right now, man. I'm like, oh, my God, a platonic hug, a platonic hug. It's, <laughs> that has happened, uh, and it's felt great. Oh, the best. Um, you know, it's, uh, we, I, I've been doing a lot of stuff with people out that, outdoors. Like, we just kind of broke down, and I know that there are, you know, um, pie-in-the-sky rules for lockdown. Like, ideally, you wouldn't be close to anyone or ideally you wouldn't be in a room of more than four or five people in, in this in the Washington state. I think that's the uh, guidance anyway. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just not like, I hate, like I, I was adamant about doing this for six months. And like, it's, I think I, I kind of reached my breaking point a few weeks ago and I went over to a friend's house and we played some games and it was, it was fine. I didn't get sick. I felt nervous the whole time, but it's just like, I don't know. I can't, I can't deal without, uh, I basically only human contact with one person for six months is kind of nuts. Uh, and some people, I think, I guess have it worse. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. The, the rules, I'm trying to follow the rules as best I can, but it's, oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's really I need a hug hard. sometimes. Oh my God. I, I, I just need a firm handshake. I need, I need to be able to <laughs> bump into someone in the store by accident and not feel like I just uh, spread the black plague to them potentially. I do want to, cause you mentioned one of our yeah. advertisers, you mentioned one of our advertisers, you know, oh, I hope Zoom's not an advertiser, but I want to actually do something unusual. There's a company. I don't think that, I don't remember if they actually bought ads on the show, but it might be really useful to you. There's this, and it, it's this thing I'm doing. And I don't, I don't know if there's ever been an advertiser, maybe, maybe I think Bombus and, and Casper where I've actually been like, yo, I'm actually going to talk about them on the show, but this thing's story worth. I'm doing it with my dad and it's this company where they email your parents or whoever you sign up for it. In my case, it's my dad questions. And then he gets to write out the answers to the questions and then they print it into a book and I'm going to give it to Cal. Mm. Cause I was, I was 39 when Cal was born. I'm like, Oh, I'll get all these stories down. And I'm like, dad, yeah. I wonder you, I mean, you said your dad is not someone who likes confrontation, but if you were to sit him down and say, Hey, I want to know your stories. I want to make it about you. I wonder if that would be an entry point to be like, right. before we even talk about me. I, Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting idea. In fact, the only way I've ever really been able to communicate with him clearly is through writing anyway. Um, we, we exchanged a few letters a few years ago when I was uh, trying to gauge his progress on uh understanding my sexual orientation and so i would i think that's a great idea it, it, it might work <laughs> better than anything i've come up with so far and and uh did they, did they grow up in the pacific northwest as well uh my dad yeah or and your or your mom sure. uh oh no they're from uh the southeast yeah, yeah they grew up in georgia and florida I wonder if that's the way to get in, because your dad, you said you're in, a, he's in his 80s, so he's born. If he's 80, he was born in 1940, um, and mm -hmm. if he's older than that, he's born in the 30s. I wonder if saying, I want to know your story. I mean, being being black in the southeast in the yeah. 1940s, what was it like? I need to hear those right. stories. I need to I've know. I've done a stories. lot of it. <laughs> My dad hates talking about, like, I've gotten a lot of it from my uncles and aunts, um, but my dad just, he, I think he must have been through a few things that really make him hesitant to want to talk, and I, I try to respect that as much as I can, but I do, you know, there's this tension of always kind of wanting to know what the generation before you has gone through to see if the lessons, like, will apply to your life, you know? But, yeah, you know. and it's, it's. There are uh, the traumas he's gone through. I'm sure are very real and very, um, like I'm sure he's not in a hurry to relive them in any way. But maybe I can make the plea. The thing that's heartbreaking is, I would have to imagine that you know he's been through traumas, and it's it's heartbreaking. But you, as as mm. his son, you have the modern version of all those fears and traumas. You know, like. 
they don't still print the green book, but you mm-hmm. still, you've said before you enter environments where everybody's white and your guard goes up. It still happens. Like, and what's a shame is I bet that if your dad could open his mind even a little bit, he would realize that not only do you have all those fears, but you also have mm-hmm. another side of yourself that leads to even more fears. And that those are actually, I would have to imagine, I would have to imagine that if he could see it from that perspective, there, there's the potential for actual empathy. To realize, oh, I went, yeah. through, I went through some shit and you have to go through the modern version of all that shit. And then there's all this other shit you got to deal with. Mm-hmm. It's a shame your dad can't see that. Right. It's a shame your dad can't see that. And sorry, I don't, I don't yeah. mean to refer to your life experience with, uh, with the word shit, but I know it's hard. I, I'm, I, my eyes and ears are open and I'm a human being on earth. I understand that it's hard. I understand that it's hard and it can be scary mm-hmm. and it's, that sucks. That sucks. Yeah, it does. But I don't know. I I am not a, a quitter. I, I feel like I uh, sometimes <laughs> against my better judgment. I I'm always trying to figure out a solution to a problem. And uh, sometimes there isn't a solution. But I just I'm just I don't know. I can't stop thinking about strategies for getting closer to my family. I, I, I like, uh, maybe, I don't know. I, like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking maybe they don't want this, you know, like it's, it's a hard thought that, you know, I, I have to acknowledge that maybe they just ultimately don't especially want this in their life. And then I, I, I haven't thought very hard about what to do with that is what they tell me. Like, cause they have that might, they might come back at me with that, you know, like this will never be a thing. We, we, we will never be involved in your life in this way. And then I'll, I'll have to be prepared to deal with that. Do you think that would crush you or would it be a weight off the shoulders or would it be another column A, column B? I was going to say column A, column B. Yeah. Um, I think both. I think it would be very, very sad and also very liberating, uh, which I don't know how to, I, yeah, I haven't thought hard enough about how to reconcile that. Maybe there's no way until something like that happens. But, well, yeah. I think I speak on behalf of a uh, fun <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but but look, I'm glad I'm glad to hear and and talk about it. And like I said, this magical thinking that a lot of this stuff goes away is why it always comes back around, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think my generation acted like my parents, uh, you know. My parents' generation marched in the civil rights movements in the 60s and Martin Luther King gave a great speech. And yeah, now we're so much better now. And that's what they teach us in school. And it's like, ugh, dangerous thinking, magical thinking. And yeah. uh, same thing in all directions. Mm. But let me just say this. You said that if they do ultimately reject you, that there'd be some sadness and some liberation. And I think that liberation is very real. I understand the sadness will be very real, but I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people hearing this to say sadder for them that it is for you. Cause we only got a minute and a half left. Yes. Even within an hour, I'm like, you're clearly someone oh, wow. who you can sit down with. I bet you could sit down with anybody and break bread and have a drink and have a great conversation. And you seem like a kind, oh, absolutely, kind, sweet, smart person. So ultimately much more their loss which is a tough thing to hear and i try i try very hard what else can you do thank you chris yeah yeah i guess nothing what do you do for work we only got a minute left but what do we what do you do for work oh uh i'm an educator at higher education um i'm probably de-anonymizing myself there's only so many gay black male but, you know, well, whatever. We can I don't really that. care. I need and Jared, if we bleep the phrase now for the third time, I think that's actually a very funny, have all the listeners going, what could, what could that be? What could they have said there? Um, yeah. The world's lucky to have you and the, yeah. the people in your life, your friends are lucky to have you. Thank you so much. I can tell that in an hour. I can tell Absolutely. it. I, I'm lucky to have them.
and uh, good luck with the conversation. I hope when it I hope when it happens, it gives you gives you whatever you need. However it turns out, I hope it gives you what you need. I hope I hope so too. Thanks. This has been so great, Chris. Thanks for thanks for chatting. Oh, a, a pleasure on my end. I loved you and don't think twice. By the way. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, that was uh, that was like a, that was a fun experience, and I'm glad people enjoyed it. And uh, yeah. I really feel lucky that I got to talk yeah. to you. And I'm sorry that you're, you're dealing with dealing with so much. And I hope that it all goes away. Thank you. Thank you so much. Caller, it really was such a pleasure to talk to you. I really do feel like if we ever uh, we ever sat down, I would actually manage to not be awkward even in person with you, which is high praise coming from me because I am an intensely uncomfortable person in actual human interactions. Thank you for calling. Good luck with everything. Thank you to Jared O'Connell. Thank you to Anita Flores. Thank you, Jordan Allen. Thank you to Shell Shag for the music. If you want to know about me, any shows I'm doing, chrisgeff.com. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, it really helps if you subscribe. You hit follow on Spotify or favorite on Stitcher. It really, really helps, especially this year. You want to check out our whole back catalog, go to stitcherpremium.com slash stories. See you next time.